Raise your hand if you majored in TMF in university. Okay, so that makes none of us. But don't worry, because everything you need to build out your own TMF training program is right here. On this episode of The State of TMF, our experts will show you how to really understand the training needs of your TMF team, create a training program that prioritizes hands-on experience, and ensure that what your team learns really sticks, all while having some fun along the way. The State of TMF podcast is officially in session. Let's get into it. Happy New Year to all of you that are joining us. If this is your first day of TMF, welcome. I see a lot of familiar faces and familiar names here, so welcome back. Um, this is the first state of TMF episode of the new year of 2024. We're super excited to kick the series back off again. Um, today we'll be focusing on um, putting the fun in TMF fundamentals, um, building an internal TMF training program. So. I think super timely, right guys? Like beginning of the year, we're all thinking about how we want to improve as individuals, but you know, us as leaders of teams, we're thinking about how we can improve our team's um, knowledge and skill set. So I think this is quite timely. Fantastic. Should we get started, Christina, Donatella? Let's get into yeah. it. Let's get into yeah, it. All right, so the, we're talking here about TMF training um i think it's important to talk about what's wrong with tmf training today and what we've seen obviously staying away from the horror stories um there's a number of reasons why tmf training programs fail today or maybe aren't as uh, successful as they should be um first things first there's no university degrees formal high level education for tmf right like a lot of us on the line here probably learned tmf by doing it uh now there's a lot more uh, training available, including things like uh, uh, the state of TMF. Um, TMF training is often limited to training on SOPs or documents or um, things that we get from from regulators. Um, some team members, some non-TMFers um, who interact with the TMF may not understand the need or the value for the TMF, so may not prioritize um, or see value in training. Um, sponsor teams who outsource don't always prioritize TMF knowledge because they feel like maybe that responsibility is now on the CRO. Um, and then of course, I think the biggest one for us is most TMF training today is theoretical, um, not practical. It's not something that catalyzes the knowledge that you learn that there are very few opportunities for that right now. Perfect. So let's jump into our process, what, what what we typically do when we're trying to identify and build out a TMF training program. Christina Donatella, do you want to jump in here and sort of walk us through some of the things that we discussed as we prep for today's session? Christina, can I go first? <laughs> Please go ahead. Thank you. So I think that uh, definitely when you want to build an effective and successful TMF training program, the very first step is to map and understand your landscape, your background, and the environment where you want to develop the TMF training program. Because as you said before, Oliver, there are a lot of situations that lead to a lack of knowledge in TMF. So it's really important to understand where I'm living, where I'm managing the TMF. Is my company a company that outsource every step of the process? Is it a company where I have in-house activities, uh, is a company where there is a, a specific TMF team or maybe it's just uh, one or two person dedicated to TMF management. So to understand the background uh, and even the company organization uh, and the, pro the operational model that you apply uh, for TMF management, I think it's really important because based on that, uh, you can better define uh, uh, all the goals, uh, all the next steps, uh, and so move on to define uh, a better TMF training program. Right. I leave the floor to you, Christina. Yeah, so I guess, Christina, yeah. at a high level, once we start to think about our, mapping our landscape, we'll look at evaluating TMF maturity, then looking at the training matrix itself, filling training gaps, and then monitoring training effectiveness. These are the sort of the five key steps that we go through. Yeah, exactly. I think that as as a whole, these five steps are like there's a there's a lot of like sub steps that are involved in, in right. them that we'll go through. But um, when you're looking at uh, you know the high level of what you what you're looking to 
to achieve uh, when building out a training program. We've kind of broken it down into these, uh, um, yeah, the, these high level steps. Amazing. And so the the idea here for those of you that that, that are sort of consuming this content, the the idea is that what we want to do today is bring you uh, step by step into building out your training program and ultimately building out iteratively your training matrix and some tools and tips that we've gathered throughout the different projects that we've done um, on how to uh, successfully deliver TMF training. So if we jump into the first step, and Donatella, you, you talked a little bit about this already, so I'll sort of maybe re-summarize some of the things that you mentioned. So when we, when I think the most important thing for us to focus on at the beginning is really understanding what landscape you exist in as an organization. And so things to consider are really looking at you know, evaluating what upcoming projects and what skills that are needed within your team for those projects. What are the types of studies that you have? Are they, uh, you know, single center, are they multi-center, international? What are the different sort of variables of the types of projects as well as the timing and the schedule? I think another thing to focus on, something that you mentioned, Donatella, which I think is really, really important is your operating model, right? Are you working externally with CROs? Um, are there internal and external team members? Uh, do they look the same, but maybe are they doing different things? Um, so that's something that's always really important to focus on. I think sometimes we can also think about looking at training from uh, an ad hoc basis. So are there audits or inspections that we've uh, recently gone through? There are findings or suggestions, observations that we need to um, that we need to move through that that have a training component to it. And then finally, looking at how we map the roles and responsibilities within our teams, uh, again, both internal and external, and how they map to the different training topics that we feel these individuals need to uh, um, the need to have. Any thoughts and comments there, Christina? Yeah, for me, I, th I think, I mean, all of these points are, are really important, but the one about the operating model is kind of, you know, your, your key to understanding you what are you doing as a, potentially a sponsor what are you doing as a cro if if you know the if you are using an outsourcing model you could be a sponsor using an outsourcing model you could be a cro at the, who is outsourcing parts of uh, of some of the clinical trials so um you know i think it's something that's really important to understand the roles and responsibilities uh, across uh, the the multiple you know players in in the team so um, you know, if you do have an outsourcing model, what does it look like? Who's responsible for the TMF oversight uh, at the sponsor and what does that look like, right? We, we know that um, we talk a lot about what oversight is and, and it's a bit, uh, it's still a bit up in the air and, and what the definition of that truly looks like. So uh, all of those things should be, you know, defined. And then on the other hand, if your activities are in-house and what's the responsibility of the clinical operations team versus some of the supporting functions, right? Like, are, what are they accountable for and and what are their responsibilities when it comes to uh, to the TMF? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Christina. I think that you mentioned a very interesting point about uh, oversight. As Oliver said before, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, because you just uh, outsource uh, everything, you think that you don't need the training uh, uh, on TMF because you are not going to do the QC, you're not going to mm -hmm. do uh, uploading, collection, documentation, so you just think, okay, everything will be done by someone else. The point is that uh, by regulation, the sponsor will be the ultimate responsible uh, uh, one for the clinical trial quality uh, and effectiveness. So at the end, the person that uh, are even outsourcing this activity must ensure oversight, as you said. And uh, to ensure oversight, I think that uh, you need to know your topic. I mean, uh, you can't oversight something that you really don't know. Uh, yeah. So even uh, with different level of knowledge uh, and training, uh, but you need to know what is QC, what is a core principle, uh, what TMF metric means, uh, because otherwise, how can you ensure the proper and effective oversight? If you're not, if you don't know what you are looking for, if you don't know what to check. Uh, so I think that uh, let's say just because your source is not the the right answer to say, okay, I don't, I'm not going to do mm -hmm. the training on TMF or having specific training. Oliver, you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th I think that's that's part of the struggle that we have, right? When when we're outsourcing is, that, is sort of defining roles and responsibilities between the teams. And that can, you know, understandably that can make things difficult to um, identifying what training your team, your internal team members need to take. 
certainly as Christina mentioned, I think oversight is, is important. Uh, and so maybe an individual that's performing oversight doesn't need to have the detailed training on how to complete the task, but needs to understand how the task is completed, right? If that makes sense. And yeah. so, you know, to be able to perform that oversight and verify that, that you know, that the individuals that are performing that task are doing it, um, you know, in accordance to, to what's been defined. So absolutely. So what I want to do now is, is maybe move the discussion forward on to, um, you know, how do you start mapping roles and responsibilities in the team? And maybe you guys can talk a little bit to um, how uh, we might handle some of those situations where we have internal versus external. Um, for those that are sort of uh, watching live, you'll, you'll see a, a table that sort of is the beginnings of the training matrix that you might start to build. Christina, from, from your perspective, why would we lay things out in this way? Why is it important to start sort of mapping these things at this point in the process? I think at a at a very basic level, you need to understand you know, what are the the roles in your organization and and what are their responsibilities, right? The, and these roles are are all examples here, and you might call them something differently. And so, it's really important to to map that out and to understand, you know, what are the things based on their responsibilities that they should be trained on. Um, it, it seems like a very simple concept, in you know, but uh, when you when you write it out like this, but when you you start to think about the nuances between the roles and uh, and the type of of trading topics and that that's out there, uh, it's really a tool that that helps to align, you know, the, um, what what the, the the roles will be doing in the study practically, um, and what type of training they require. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Donatella, the other thing that's really interesting here is that. It's important. It's important for everyone to realize that the, the training topics that we've listed here aren't the exact training topics that everybody with this job role should do within your organization. It's really specific to, again, the, the, the you know the, the conversation that we just had before about mapping your landscape and understanding you know how your team is working. Right, those things are really customized based on what you've learned at that step in the process. Yes, exactly. Uh, this is just an example because obviously. Uh, rules and responsibility are unique uh, over an organization and of the process of that organization because you know sometimes a cpm uh, can be the one responsible for doing qc sometimes just performing uh, uh, periodic review of metrics and maybe there is a cta performing regular qc so obviously uh, you need to understand uh, exactly the roles that you have inside your organization and based on those roles what are the responsibility assign based on the process that you have developed for TMF. And doing this kind of assessment and exercise, we help you to understand, okay, if this person that covered this role is responsible for, you know, ensuring the compliance with the uh, project timelines, these are the training topics that he needs to be trained on because uh, it will be, you know, helpful for him to understand uh, this aspect of the TMF, this aspect of the regulation. So it's really, I think it's a big effort, a uh, big exercise to be done, uh, but it's necessary if you want to define uh, an effective training plan. Absolutely. So, you know, let, let's assume that we, we've started to map the roles and responsibilities to the different training topics, right? We're thinking about what responsibilities do these roles have and therefore what knowledge do they need, what experience do they need to be able to complete their, their tasks, right? To do their job. Once we've got that in place, we have to start thinking, I think a, a key part of this whole process is understanding the level of TMF maturity within the organization, both at the team and organization level, as well as at the individual level, right? And Donatella, I want to come back to you here because I think maturity at the team and the company level is a really important factor that perhaps may often be skipped. Um, what are some of the things that we want to be investigating when we're thinking about is my, you know, how mature is my team from a TMF perspective today? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, when we think about the maturity level, uh, probably people think about more uh, uh, to second point, so the individual maturity level. And uh, you forget that there is also uh, a higher level of maturity in terms of uh, what's my company, what's my organization, uh, TMF maturity in terms of TMS training. So, for example, uh, do you have uh, a specific uh, training that define uh, 
how to manage uh, and develop TMF training or, uh, I don't know, SOP or working instruction about that, do you have uh, specific and customized TMF training in the annual training plan of the entire organization when you define, okay, for this year, I want to do uh, anticipate or refresh training for everyone working in clinical development, but maybe I want to add something on GCP on TMF principle and requirement. Uh, do you have maybe uh, available uh, e-learning module uh, inside your organization that uh, are helpful when there is a, a new employee and you can't organize, you know, an online session just for one person and you want to do maybe a quick uh, uh, onboarding on a TMF and you've got some very uh, understandable e-learning uh, for this person. So it's really a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, questions that you should uh, uh, understand within uh, your company to understand if uh, you are robust, let's say, from a company perspective in terms of TMF training, or maybe TMF was not considered uh, so important in the entire complex of training plan of your company or of your organization. And so probably you need something more specific for TMF. Right. And, and and perhaps you know to be to be frank, that's likely the scenario that we'll find most organizations in, right? Because a lot of organizations today are still struggling to to allow TMF to have the the level of attention that it requires from a training perspective, and so perhaps we still have some of those challenges there. I think asking some of these questions can not only is good from a self reflection perspective, but also can help us expose maybe some larger issues that need to be addressed at the company level around TMF maturity. So that's a, a really good point. I think the second point, like you mentioned, Donatella, is around individual experience. Christina, from your, uh, you know, from your experience here and, and your perspective, it, it's critical that we also look at the individual level of maturity, right? What, what are some of the things that we want to think about there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really crucial for a lot of different reasons to look at individual individual assessment. Uh, of you know TMF knowledge in in general, um, it'll pro it'll give you like the insights into um, you know the knowledge, the skills, and the practices that the that the team members um, who are contributing to the TMF have, and and identify those gaps so that you can help them to um, you know build their development plan to to get to where they they need to be. Um, so when you're looking at an individual, you know you you want to uh, understand how many years have have they managed a TMF? Have they ever managed a TMF before? It could be that it's someone who's um, worked, uh, you know, as uh, in a different role, was coming into a role that that now you need to have more exposure to the TMF. Um, have they done quality checks before on documents? Um, how are they evaluating the metrics? Uh, in in TMF, or, or they do they have experience in understanding, you know, what, the, what quality completeness, timeliness is, and how the, that affects uh, your TMF health in general? Um, do they? Or we've talked about this in in many other uh, podcasts, I believe. But you know, do, do they think of the TMF as something like a repository? Is there a perception that the TMF is more of an administrative task, or um, do they understand the using the TMF as an active tool? Um, and, it, and when it comes to ETMF, they manage the life cycle of a document within the ETMF or the uh, familiar with ETMF systems in general. Um, and finally, do they have experience in building uh, a, a study TMF plan and a study TMF index, both uh, very important documents in uh, conducting your, your study uh, with your TMF? And, and obviously there are... You know, there's a there's there's a number of questions that you you may want to ask yourself that that you didn't kind of outline there, right? But those are some of the things that yeah. I think are important to think about. And then, I guess the, the 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 direction that we go from here is is to sort of start mapping this out, right? Is to start thinking about well, once I've got the answers to these questions, how do I capture that for each of the different employees? And one of the things that we typically are recommending there is a, is some sort of skill mapping or competency mapping. Christina, kind of walk us through why is this important um, and how does it sort of fit into the grand scheme of uh, us building this training program? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's important. It's kind of an add-on to your your training matrix that, that we start building in, in the first step and that we'll continue finalizing in a bit. But it's it's an add-on that is used um, you know, to basically do the document, the assessment, um, of the individual in TMF-related roles. So what happens when you've 
um, you know, done this through potentially surveys or some of the questions that, that we went through um, and or other types of assessments. Uh, once the, the results are in, you've basically built uh, this inventory of skills or competencies that you can then compare against what the expectation is for, for that role. It's not, again, not a, shouldn't be taken in a negative, you know, any kind of negative connotation. It's more just to show where an individual might uh, have some gaps that they can, they can then, uh, you can then supply them with the tools to basically fill those gaps with uh, additional training or other um, development plans. So we'll get into finalizing the, the training matrix in a little bit, but and that's going to be a useful tool to understand, you know, the training gaps based on the role. However, with this type of competency map, um, what you can also do is work on a personalized uh, development plan, right, based on, on the gaps that, that you see. And these plans can include other training programs, workshops, mentorships, um, you know, on the job, shadowing, uh, a more senior resource uh, to enhance the skills and the knowledge and then to provide those individuals with not only the skills, but the the confidence, right, to to perform their their TMF responsibilities. Because because we've got to move beyond sort of just like looking at training as a as something we have to do because we need to document it to show to to an auditor and inspector. It needs to be one hundred percent. How do we make how do we make sure that people are actually skilled and and appropriately tooled, like you said, uh, to be able to do their job, right? I think that's uh, yeah, that's super important. No, so I think. No, I think uh, totally agree, Oliver and Christina, and I think that uh, we can link this uh, this slide to the very first thing that you said at the beginning, Oliver, that uh, at present there is no degree or formal education in TMF, so it's really something that you learn uh, by experience, uh, by working in clinical trial. Uh, even I remember the very first time that uh, someone asked me to do a TMF QC, and I was like, uh, okay. Uh, I don't know what TMF is, I don't know what a QC is, so let's try to do that. Uh, because honestly, my degree was very far away from that part. Uh, and I would have appreciated, you know, some uh, more, uh, let's say, uh, training, uh, workshop uh, on how to perform a QC, what uh, uh, good documentation practice are, uh, how to uh, ensure then your clinical trial. So all these aspects that uh, when you and the university, you don't have this, uh, this knowledge, this experience. So I think that uh, Christina says something very important. It's not just a matter of uh, uh, defining the topic, but also the level of competence and skill that you have. Because obviously, if you have uh, working 10 years, 20 years in clinical trial and uh, clinical trial management, probably you know something about TMF, but if, if it is a junior resource, uh, a three-level resource, probably you need more advanced and more... Uh, uh, detailed training for that particular role and the activities that you will uh, carry on. Right, exactly. And I guess, uh, Christina, you could, you could, if you wanted to, like maybe there are, let's say there are topics that are more important because they are tied maybe to a higher risk that, uh, impact on, 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 on your team, on your, on your study. Um, in that case, would you might, you might want to look at actually doing some competency testing to sort of understand people's knowledge and experience. Obviously you can't do that for everything, but could that be something that we look at to sort of evaluate competency? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in the form of, of quiz or even just like uh, reviewing someone actually performing the, the task that in, in, in front of you to see, like to evaluate how, what are the steps in the process that, that they do? I think, I mean, all of these things probably are detailed somewhere uh, in an SOP. Like we said, what, you know, I mean, if we let's be honest, like how often do you know how to do something right after reading an SOP, right? But so it takes a little bit more than just uh, um, the, the theoretical. And I think competency yeah. testing and in, in watching someone do a task or do something that um, you know you you have a procedure for, maybe somewhere written, is is much more uh, accurate and much more telling uh, than potentially like a paper based quiz, maybe. But right, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. There's it, come some comments here about this, uh, this this TMF team or this clinical team that we've had here is pretty stacked. Um, you know, in that example, right, like we, Taylor Swift is advanced at almost everything, um, um, but, but needs some work on risk-based TMF. And so we might, 
you know, we might want to be able to map a development plan there, but to, to, to do that, you may want to evaluate the competency through some of those testing. It could be interviews. It could be, you know, seeing people do those tasks. Uh, it could just be based on their own, um, their own designation or what they feel they, their level of experience they have. All right. So let's move on. I want to talk a little bit now in, and what, you know, now that we've sort of wrapped up understanding the level of, of knowledge and maturity within your team. Um, I think it's start, it's time for us to pick back up on the training matrix and start kind of building out some additional piece of information that we might want to look at. And so Donatella, I want to kind of throw this to you, right? When we think about creating our TMF training matrix, one, what should we be thinking about? So what are the different types of, of training perhaps? Um, and then two, like, why is it important for us to overlay all of this in the same place? Yeah, I think that the TMF training matrix is really a tool that can help you to define better your TMF training strategy. So I think uh, we have already discussed about role and responsibility. It's part of the very first step. So to map uh, your landscape, to map uh, uh, the environment and the organization where you are. So to understand uh, who is doing what, basically, and uh, what are the responsibility and the roles inside the clinical trial management. Definitely, we know that we have uh, uh, to do the, some SOP training because there will be very probably one, two, three, I don't know, four or five uh, uh, SOP or working structure related to TMF management, you know, for a uh, uh, high level management, maybe for the audit trial review, maybe on how to perform the QC. So there will be some uh, SOP training to be done. And obviously, uh, I think that uh, it's really important to understand uh, based on my role, based on my responsibility, do I have to be trained on all of these SOP or maybe just one and two and just be informed about the existence of an SOP, but because I'm not involved, I can skip the training. And then there is the more, let's say, technological aspect. If you are managing an ETMF, obviously you can't access an ETMF without a proper training. There is the system training that is really uh, crucial, I would say. Uh, and it's important even to customize this training based on your responsibility, because, you know, it doesn't make sense to me to know exactly the one under feature and functionality of my ETMF. Uh, if, uh, for my role, I will just go inside and search some document, maybe sometimes, uh, and not even every day. So I don't care about uh, how to do a QC. I don't care about how to upload a document because my role, my responsibility is limited. Same if you want to, if you are someone that outsource, but probably needs to ensure oversight on your TMF. And so needs to be able to understand how to run a report, how to check the metrics. So I think it's really important to understand at this step of the process that system training, SOP training are really specific to the role and responsibility. And those role and responsibility are based on your organizational model and on your process, on the process that you define for managing the TMF. And least, and last but not least, there are uh, the training on TMF topics. Uh, as Christina said at the beginning, uh, it's not sufficient to read an SOP on uh, how to manage the TMF, but to understand uh, really what TMF is uh, if you have never managed a TMF uh, in a clinical trial. So it's important that uh, if a person, for example, it's at the very first time, uh, probably it's necessary to make them understand uh, the relevance, the GCP requirements, the regulatory expectation around TMF. If you are a data manager, probably you are interested in how to ensure the data integrity within the TMF. So there are lots of, let's say, TMF topic that we can uh, organize uh, training. And uh, I think that for each situation, for each uh, uh, scenario that you are living, uh, you can choose the best uh, topic uh, for your situation. Okay, I have a question here that came in from Jess while you were uh, while you were walking us through that, Donatella, um, and this maybe goes to both of you. I'd love your opinion here. Um, what do you think about including training content within the work instruction or the SOP itself? Thoughts there, Christina? Yeah, I I, I think it's a fairly common approach um, to include some you know training uh, regarding processes or or what you know different training topics into an SOP. Um, like we said, it has these advantages and disadvantages. Definitely it's, it's good to have as, uh, you know, that, that theory based, um, training where you're, you can have your, um, 
the the relevant rules, read that SOP and and confirm that they've read it and and understood it. But um, when it comes to that that more practical side of uh, of doing your tasks and actually understanding you know what it looks like to do like Donatella said it a, a, a team FQC. What is as someone who has read that SOP ever even seen you know like a a document yeah, that needs to be QC'd in a TMF and all that. So I think it, it's more of a um, complementary document, in, in my opinion, um, a complementary training than yeah, it doesn't something that's the actual training itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. agree with you, Christina. Yeah, even because uh, again, it's so complex the topic that uh, uh, I think it's really need to be a dedicated document to explain uh, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, in, in in sort of other discussions in the past, we've we've talked about things like um, quick reference. We've seen, you know, we've seen quick reference cards, and we've seen, you know, other other documentation that's that's adjacent to the SOPs that that can help add color to the the, the subject matter. But I think, especially for us, what we've seen here as we train customers is what really makes the difference is is the sort of the practical one on one or one to many kind of live workshop or or kind of classroom-based training or over-the-shoulder-based training where there's a little bit more back and forth, right? Because it, rarely do we get things the first time. Uh, some people do, but certainly not me. And so you, you need to, you know, you need to sometimes repeat those things or maybe ask questions. And I think it's difficult to do that within a document, right? So I think um, it's certainly helpful to have some of the, those those additional details within the SOPs. We've all read SOPs that are very much do this, then do that. Um, but a little bit more color is always beneficial, but I don't think it ever replaces the actual need for um, sort of practical skill building, which which often is 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 done, you know, in the real world. Um, got another question here. How, how is typically training rolled out to the different roles supporting the TMF? In other words, what are the various ways that people are trained and onboarded to ensure competency? This is a question from Tamara, and I think we're gonna we're gonna answer some of this as we get through the next couple subjects that we'll talk about. So we'll come back to that. For those that are, um, have some questions, but maybe not, haven't asked them yet, feel, feel free to throw them into the chat or into um, the Q&A and we'll, we'll go from there. All right. So I think the other thing that's really interesting, and this was you know something that we come across quite a lot when we speak to customers, we help them start building out their training matrix. And then very quickly you realized well, these are all really great topics that we need our team to be trained on. We just don't have the material or there isn't really an SOP that covers this in detail yet, um, or it's a new process, right? So there's all of these sort of different things that, that tend to happen that perhaps present um, gaps in our training materials that we have. Um, Christina, why why is it important? And, and I guess not just why it's important, but from here to, to be able to map the training materials that already exist, and then perhaps the action items for those that maybe perhaps don't exist today to be able to make sure that we can actually fully deliver the training program. Yeah. Um, so all of the steps that we've done leading up to this should should have given you know the, the team an idea of of the gaps when it comes to uh, training material. And so I think um, you know the the maturity assessment, the mapping the landscape, all of that will come to okay. I need to train my team on this, this, and this, right? And then, and there's some things that are easy to, might be easy to develop internally if you have uh, a resource or someone who has that experience. But a lot of the times you'll, you'll also likely need to leverage some other uh, resource or potentially a vendor um, to, to train the team on that topic. And so I think when it comes to building a sort of training materials inventory or log, um, it's it's important to point out the ones that you can develop internally, the ones you need to go go procure um, elsewhere, uh, and that'll give you an idea of you know what's missing, what you need to go out and get in order to complete your ultimately complete your training matrix. And and Donatella, a question for you here, does a sort of a follow up is, you know, if we if we if we do see that there are gaps perhaps that that need updating is it is it something that we should be you know we should be reviewing training material on a periodic basis but perhaps some topics become out of date faster than others how do you deal with that kind of situation 
Yeah, that is quite challenging, uh, Oliver, I would say, because uh, I think that what Christina was saying is something very important. So define, uh, okay, what's in-house, what is not in-house, uh, how can I manage the training uh, if I need uh, uh, some outsource support. Uh, the problem is that uh, if you are, want to manage this internally, you have to keep in mind that uh, anything that you will uh, develop uh, needs to be updated because, uh, as you know, regulatory uh, changes uh, uh, happen, uh, maybe not every day, but they happen. Uh, there are different scenarios, different situations, uh, uh, different guidance from competent authority that come out. So it's very important to have this material uh, very uh, complete and updated. And the other aspect is that uh, probably sometimes I think that uh, if you ask the support of someone else, you can have also some very helpful insight uh, tips uh, uh, and experience that you can't have uh, if you just, you know, manage everything internally. So I think that it's really important to understand if uh, the material that you provide during the training uh, has this very uh, complete and large uh, experience inside of it. Or maybe you just consider your scenario, uh, your clinical trial design, and so probably it's uh, more limited. So I think that there are a lot of things to be considered, but definitely a log tracker, call as you want. Uh, must be uh, maintained. So also the resources and the time uh, to keep it updated uh, must be defined and uh, identified. Right. And of course, at this point, we're talking a lot about logs and trackers and things like that. But of course, there are lots of systems available for us to be able to manage this information, including things like the training matrix. Um, Christina, I know that it's hard to get away from spreadsheets here. And I know that this is a uh, something that's near and dear to your heart, um, but but it is still possible for us to be able to manage these things in, with these types of tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, All right. I mean, uh, I, one thing I wanted to add on the point of of internal um, uh, developing things internally is that you you might have someone in your team who has come, you know, joined your team with a, a ton of experience, right, and who can help build some of that material. But one of the things uh, personally that I've experienced is to is to really to have a plan for that for that redundancy, right? Because what happens uh, along the same lines of you know Donatella's uh, good point about maintaining that that training is what happens if that person leaves, right? We have uh, a lot of staff turnover in 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 the industry, and so if that person leaves, then no longer you can no longer maintain your training. You can no longer give training. I think one of the important points is if you're doing that internally to take that into account and make sure that you have that, um, redundancy. So you, you can really harness and maintain that sort of institutional knowledge that that person has, has brought. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important. We do have a lot of turnover in, in this space. We have you know individuals seeking and, and, and changing adventures. Right. And so Sometimes that knowledge does, does does get lost. I think other sort of conversely as well, um, to, to something to think about is we may have people that come into our organization with vast amounts of TMF experience, um, but it's important to consider where that TMF experience is gained, um, especially if that individual is involved in crafting training material. If we have individuals, let's say, that are coming from big organizations that are then moving to small organizations, the way that we handle TMF and can handle TMF as a small organization will be different. And so, yes, we could probably write a really great, you know, SOP on TMF management from, from someone that's worked in a big organization. But the, the, the challenge there is that we're, we're likely not going to be able to support that process as a smaller team, as a smaller organization. So just take that into consideration as well. All right, I want to maybe answer Tamara's question. So Tamara you asked a question around um, how do we train and onboard people to ensure competency? I think part of this is understanding people's competency, right? Um, we talked about skills mapping or competency mapping. Then from there, as, as Christina mentioned, it's about developing um, the sort of standard training that everyone will do based on their job role and their job title, which is based on our training matrix. But then those individual uh, personal development planning, right? So if there are certain individuals that are perhaps, um, you know, at a basic level, but everybody in that role needs to be at an intermediate level to be able to perform that task, then you know there's a there's a there's a sort of an individual track that you're developing there to be able to train that individual and get them to the to the level that that you need them to be at. Christina, don't tell anything you'd add on the end of there to to respond to tomorrow's question. 
No, I totally agree with you, Oliver and uh, Christina, that uh, there are different, I would say, level of training. So obviously there is the, the training for the person related to uh, the role and the responsibility of that person. And then they, we have to combine that type of training with uh, a more uh, individual development training. So, you know, if you are a, a junior resource that need to be uh, more robust uh, in uh, QC management, uh, definitely you will have to develop uh, uh, a plan, a training plan specific for that goal. And we come back to the beginning of defining the goal, defining uh, uh, the landscape where you are. And so what's the, the aim of the training, uh, you know, to improve the performance, to improve the special readiness of my TMF. Uh, uh, so what you are looking for with the training metrics, uh, with the training plan. Uh-huh. Now, one more thing I would add about like role training is um, all really all about like workshops and hands-on experience. So, if once you've developed those, uh, you know, you, you've you've looked at what are the uh, gaps or and what are the responsibilities of the roles, then maybe you can conduct you know role-specific workshops or hands-on practice. Like I attended. Um, uh, a seminar at, at a conference a couple of months ago where it was a data manager presenting that they didn't realize how much um you know what what how much content they could potentially contribute to the TMF that even went beyond you know process zone 10 for data management and I right. really so it's really all about understanding um you know what what your function is and then how your function um supports the TMF and and seeing that in practice. So I think having that hands-on and, and role-specific uh, type of uh, exercises would be really helpful in that sense. Absolutely. All right, so let's let's continue that because I think that's a really good thought. So step four in our process, once we've defined our training matrix, it's now it's time to get training, right? That's time to get people trained. Um, now, naturally, what we're going to do here is start to look at, you know, what are the, the, the courses, what are the gaps that we have in training? Um, are there personal development plans that like we mentioned? All of those things are going to start to, to form and come together. Obviously, there are best practices. I don't think we need to uh, kind of rehash or reinvent the wheel on logistics of coordinating training, things like that. But I think it's important for us to maybe talk to some of the things that we have seen elevate training programs and, and ensure that people are um, catalyzing the knowledge that they're learning through the theoretical into the practical, right? And so... One thing that you mentioned, Christina, that I think is really important is interactive workshops, right? Whether they're done through an external vendor, whether they're done internally with a with an SME, um, or whether they're done at a conference. Uh, for, you know, if you have an opportunity to get to a conference, either virtually or physically, do so because there are training days and other workshops where they're much more interactive. This is really where a lot of people um, build skills, right? Active learning. I think that's really, really important. Not for everyone but certainly um, something that, that helps. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd mention too is is gamification, right? Like, is there a way that we can add some sort of competition, perhaps incentive, a way to sort of everyone to rally around a certain idea? Um, you know, is there some fun that you can have in some of these workshops where there's perhaps, a, a, you know, post-it notes where you can gather those types of different things? Um, external speakers, this is something that I'm seeing more and more now. Um, is having external speakers come in to give a talk, a, you know, something that's more um, perhaps theoretical or, or inspiring to come in and talk to people. Um, you know, as an example, you might have someone who's from the industry that is very knowledgeable on TMF talking to a bunch of people in your team that don't understand TMF, right? Use external speakers to be able to um, build TMF culture and TMF understanding. And then the last thing that I'll mention is building TMF champions, right trying to find leaders advocates and whatever you want to call them individuals that are ultimately going to help you as a as a training leader a line manager department manager to continue to reinforce not just the training material but also best practice um and also you know the way that you guys do things internally um is really really important it's also important as we start to talk about what kind of culture we want to build as a team but certainly at the foundation of of building training Christina Donatella, I probably stole all the good nuggets there, um, but would you would you add anything or maybe carry on from some of the things that I've mentioned? Maybe some examples of things that you've seen well work well in 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 your roles as we've delivered training to customers. Yeah, if I may just add, I think that I mean what I see in working with customer is that uh, 
the training uh, is elevated, I would say, when you move to workshop. So usually what we do is to perform a training session, a very theoretical one or a topic, because obviously you need to understand uh, theoretically uh, a topic, but then uh, majority of our training uh, is combined with a practical workshop. And it's there that I see lots of interaction, lots of question, uh, people are more uh, engaged uh, and they feel that uh, they are really understanding the topic, even if the training was clear, but uh, you know, it, it, it's like uh, the brain start to connect the dots uh, and say, okay, this is what I have to do on a daily basis. Uh, this is what I have to do tomorrow for the, that uh, step. Uh, so I think it's something that uh, is really helping uh, uh, the learning, the learning aspect uh, uh, of the person uh, to be more uh, uh, practical uh, rather than uh, theoretical. Christina, yeah. anything you like from, from here? I mean, the gamification aspect is always fun. We've had our, our fair share of pub quizzes, right, in Montreal, the, related to TMF, which is, uh, uh, you know, and uh, get into teams, you answer a bunch of questions, the winning team wins a gift card or something like that. I mean, it's a, is optional in those things, right? Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. So, I mean, it's really a lot of fun to, a fun way to, to do that. And I think it, it, it allows people to interact a little bit better and makes, makes probably something that could be boring if you're just reading it in SOP makes it a little more fun. Right? So. Yeah. There was a great session. You and I were both there, um, down at the C-Disc TMF event in Baltimore, um, late last year where there was this sort of end of day, uh, pirate themed, if I remember correctly. Um, workshop, right? And so this is just a way for us yeah, exactly. to have fun, uh, and and ultimately we want we want training material to be memorable. And sometimes reading an SOP isn't super memorable, um, but maybe playing a game uh, can help you do that. And and you know, we, we do this is what we do with our customers. So if you need some help and inspiration there, let us know. Um, but it, it's certainly uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm a big fan of that one too, Christina. All right, we're we're sort of uh, uh, on the slope here for time, so I'm going to move uh, forward to our last step, which I think is really important. And I'm going to throw this to you, Donatella, because we should, you know, in anything that we do in TMF, we should be figuring out how we monitor and and measure success. Um, but in training, it's even more important. What are some of the things that we should be thinking about? What are some of the ways in which we can monitor training effectiveness, um, you know, within our TMF team? Yes, absolutely, Oliver. I think that you touch a very important point. Uh, so it's not sufficient to do the training, uh, but also to verify if the topic, uh, the process was understood and people are now improving their performance. Uh, otherwise, obviously, there's no uh, relevance and importance in doing a training or a workshop. So there are different methodologies, I would say, because uh, we put here some examples like, you know, eternal survive, uh, attendance tracking, uh, quiz, uh, obviously, uh, as course. Uh, but I think that uh, something that is very valuable now is that uh, if you are using an ETMF uh, and if you are using it in a very agile uh, way and very proactive way, you can uh, uh, track this data within the ETMF. So to understand if an end user, you know, has improved its rate of quality, uh, has improved the timeliness. So you can really uh, verify uh, in a real time, I would say, uh, if there is an improvement in the process and in the performance uh, of the person. So I think that uh, different tools, different methodology are there. You can pick up uh, what you prefer and what is more uh, is fitting for you better based on your uh, uh, your company and organization. But definitely, the the message is uh, remember to monitor the effect effectiveness right. of the training. Otherwise. Uh, Again, it will not make sense, uh, uh, the training plan, the training metrics, uh, you must verify if the outcome um, has improved. Yeah, perfect. All right, so let's wrap this up real quick. We've got a couple more things to show you, um, as well as talking about what's coming next on the next episode. So stick around for a few more minutes. Um, just to reiterate, so step one, map your landscape, understand how your team works, what projects you have, what's the environment you'll operate in. Step two, evaluate TMF maturity at the company and team level, as well as at the individual level. Start building out your training matrix, mapping the different roles and responsibilities to topics, to SOPs, to the training that your team will perform. Uh, train to fill those gaps and some of the tools that we mentioned today to in augment and level up that training and then monitor training effectiveness. All right. 
Now, if, if for those of you, there's been a, a number of questions today around where can we find training like this if we do have training gaps. So I just want to highlight some of the things um, that we do here at Montreal as part of our service offering. We have what we call TMF maturity training, uh, which comes in three different levels. It is team-based training, um, and they cover a range of different topics. Um, I won't go through them all. You can check out our website and, and see the different training programs available to you. All of these trainings include up to 10 members um, of your team and can be paired with those skill building workshops that we mentioned throughout today's presentation that, that give you the opportunity to develop real deliverables, right? So for example, if we're going through the process of uh, the ETMF plan training, we will then in the workshop help your team develop an ETMF plan. So it helps then catalyze the knowledge within your team uh, so that they are able then to carry that, that forward. So the next episode will be on February 14th. It will be live again at 11 a.m. Eastern. And the subject will be cracking the TMF culture code, building champions and getting non-TMFers engaged. This is something that we've been asked over and over and over about. It's something that I think people get wrong over and over and over again. Christina and I will be joined by a guest, um, Anusha Ramesh Babu from uh, Moderna. Um, she's actively involved in, in, in creating and developing the TMF culture at Moderna. And we're super happy that she'll be joining us and sharing how uh, she's built a, a, a TMF culture at Moderna alongside her team. So make sure that you tune into that one. Um, the last thing I'll do is just launch a poll. If you guys have any questions that you want us to answer on that session, you get a chance to uh, dictate what we cover, what topics we cover, what questions we answer. So throw those questions into the poll that I've just launched now, um, and we will review them and try and incorporate those into um, the session. I'll leave it up um, so you guys can can answer at your will. Christina and Donatella, this was fun. Uh, I didn't realize an hour, almost an hour had already gone. Um, any passing words, tidbits from, from the both of you? It could be, it should be a happy new year if you want to. Of course, happy new year, definitely. And TMF uh, <laughs> is too much fun. Always remember. <laughs> Always too much fun. Yeah, happy new year, everyone. Happy new year. All right, guys, thanks so much uh, for attending the first uh, session of the year. Again, we have the next one coming February 14th. As a note to everybody that's still around, we will be launching a call for abstracts for TMF Week, the biggest TMF conference on the planet, the largest collection um, of TMF professionals virtually. Uh, it'll be uh, in the beginning of June. We'll be releasing details later this month. So um, for those of you that are connected with me on LinkedIn or anybody from Montreal, if you are interested in speaking, um, let us know, reach out, let us know what you want to talk about and we'll um, try and see if we can consider it. Big audience today. Thank you so much for everyone for joining and we will see you on the next show on February 14th. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The State of TML. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button, view the full episode with video on YouTube and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook to see the sometimes entertaining and always resourceful content we post every single day. See you in February for episode five.